but what you do is you take or slide out one of those blocks from the bottom or anywhere below the top row and then begin to place them uh, on on the on the top row and so you, they're three across they're they're stacked lengthwise um, and then each each row is perpendicular to the one before and again the object is to pull those out and to stack them and, and not you not be the one that causes that tower to fall whether you whether that's when you take one out or when you place it back I begin there because many people today, I believe, and, and really people throughout history, have treated Christianity as a game of Jenga. And what I mean is, they, they pick a particular truth, um, and they pick one that they usually don't particularly like, or care for, or believe in, and then they, they slide it out of the Bible, they slide it out of context, and then they begin to tweak it to where... It's something that they can prefer or that they can maybe believe in or it suits their personal preferences or presuppositions. But what happens is that it creates a variation uh, or uh, an irregularity in that truth. It throws it off just enough and they take that and they take that truth and then they want to come and place it back on the tower. They want to place it back within Scripture, back within Christianity. Or they just remove it. Sorry, they, they remove it and they just leave it. Leave it out. It's just easier if they just put it aside. And they claim by, by setting it aside, they're just claiming that it isn't true or it's unnecessary and basically, um, well, it's unnecessary to the stability of the whole. And one of those truths is the doctrine of the resurrection. Uh, people have messed with the doctrine of the resurrection or Jesus coming back to life after His death for a long time. It's a block to continue that game analogy that uh, many choose to remove simply by saying it's not true. They they don't even try to disprove it, or if they do disprove it, they make up things like uh, he was buried in a mass grave, or the Romans fed him to the dogs, uh, or his body was stolen, and they come up with many other, other things. But in the end, they're just simply denying the objective reality. They're rejecting an actual historic event that took place, that people saw. And witnessed. But as Solomon said, nothing new is under the sun. And what people do today, they've been doing for a long time. People attempting to reject the resurrection has been going on for a long time. Uh, it's actually what Paul is addressing in this passage that John just read for us. It's what Paul wanted to... Uh, well, Paul says that everything that he and the apostles preached... And everything that the Corinthians believed about, um, or everything that they believed about the things that had been taught, all of those things would begin to crumble to the ground if the resurrection wasn't true. It's not 
something that can be tweaked. It's not something that can be removed. It's not something that can, that can just be dismissed without doing irreparable harm to the whole. There are serious implications of the resurrection. And Paul mentions them here. He actually goes so far as to say that there is no Christianity if there is no resurrection. It's foundational. and Everything rises and falls on it. And I want to do what we don't normally do, and I want to read the text again. John did a great job, but I want to read, read it again so it's in the forefront of our minds, and then we're just going to simply walk through it together. There is an outline in the back of your bulletin. You can go back maybe and listen and, and fill it out later. There are two major points. They're coming right out of the text in Paul's words. The first is, if Christ has not been raised, and the second is, but now Christ has been raised. And then there are sub-points under that first one. But if you don't mind, one more time, just to keep the blood flowing, let's stand in the honor of God's Word. Let me read that passage again for us. Again, this is God's Word. Hear it. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, by Your Spirit, would You grant power to the preaching of Your Word? Would You grant all of us spiritual eyes and ears that we need to appraise and apprehend the truth regarding Christ and His Gospel? Awaken our attention, convict us, challenge us, and then refresh us, encourage us, and comfort us. I am unfit for this task that you, to which you have called me. And so I am in need of your grace. I need your spirit to fill me that I might do something good for you and for your church this morning. May that be so. I pray these things for Christ's sake and for the sake of His church. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in the first 11 verses of the chapter, Paul reminds or he goes back over what he had made known to the Corinthians back uh, from the very beginning. Uh, It was the foundational message that he says was of first importance. Uh, It was a foundational message by which he says they had been saved. They had been saved once and for all, but they had also... uh, been saved and they were being saved progressively as as they continued to grow in grace. He said it was the message that they had received, it was a message that they had taken hold of, it was a message upon which they stood, 
And they had been holding on to it. His language is that they had been holding on to it resolutely. And that message, of course, is the gospel. And he says it's the gospel. And that from the beginning, he had been preaching the good news of Christ's death for their sins, his burial, and his resurrection. And again, again, it was of first importance. Those things were of first importance because it was the message of Christ's death. It was the message of his being raised to life that was a matter of life and death for those to whom he preached just as it is a matter of life and death for you and I today. And as he made clear in Galatians some three to five years earlier, it wasn't his gospel or it wasn't any man's gospel, but it was in fact God's gospel. It was a message that the Scriptures had pointed to. It was a message that, uh, that, that included tangible, identifiable events that could be verified and were in fact verified They were historically attested to by himself, by the apostles, by 500 others, including Jesus' brother James. But there's a note of frustration as we read this chapter, or we read the end of this chapter, we uh, are moving on from 11 uh, on, we hear a, a note of frustration in Paul's voice. And that frustration is due to the fact that they had, because they had accepted the gospel in its entirety, but unfortunately some of them had been falling back into their pagan ways. They had been falling back into some of their pagan beliefs. In particular, they had fallen back into the belief that death was actually a liberation. Because to them as pagans, physical bo- their, their physical bodies in the material world was evil or were evil. And so they didn't want to be associated with their bodies. But because they believed the the physical and material world to be evil, then they began denying the resurrection. They, They denied the bodily resurrection of people. And therefore, by rejecting the bodily resurrection of people, they were rejecting the bodily resurrection of Christ. And the rejection of Christ meant they had begun to let go of which they had held... Uh, that to which they had held so firmly, right? Their their hands began to open, and those things began to leave or disappear. Particularly this idea of the resurrection, uh, the gospel that verse eleven says that they had been preaching again from the beginning, and that's because, in the words of one commentator, the resurrection is not an isolated fact or doctrine which can be accepted or rejected independently of other truth. And so Paul from verses 12 to 19 that we've now read twice lays out this wonderful, brilliant argument that was intended to, again in the words of another commentator, show how unspeakably tragic the situation is if Christ has not been raised. And he begins in verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, he said, his preaching and the content of his preaching, and and the preaching and the content of the preaching of the other apostles was empty. It had no purpose. It was devoid, um, devoid of substance. And the content was groundless. 
And again, also devoid of substance. They're, therefore, they really didn't have anything of value to say. The apostles and Paul both, in, in the words of Charles Hodge, were preaching a message that was void of all truth, reality, and power. It was a message of a kingdom, or it would be, if Christ has not been raised, it would be a message of a king who was in the grave, not on his throne. If Christ had not been raised, it would be a message about a king who had not only failed, or a conqueror, a conquering king, who had not only, defe- who not only failed to defeat his enemy, but was actually defeated by his enemy. It was, rather than being a conqueror, he had been conquered. If Christ had not been raised, they would be uh, preaching a message of uh, limited power and limited authority and limited dominion. If Christ had not been preached, ultimately they'd be, they'd be testifying on behalf of a man who was not a savior or conquering king, but a lunatic or a liar, because Jesus himself had in fact predicted that he would die and be raised on the third day. He goes on to say in verse 15, that if Christ has not been raised, he and the apostles, he and the apostles would be liars. Because they had been testifying and preaching about the testimony of of Christ's resurrection. And that that testimony would be false. And even worse than that, they would be considered blasphemers. Because they were saying that God was the one who raised Him from the dead. And if He had not been raised, then they were saying God did something that He actually didn't do. Now let's make this personal. Because the same truth applies for us today who claim to be His disciples as it was for the disciples then. If Christ has not been raised, then what I'm doing right now, in every small group that we gather in, every Bible study that that's people participate in, the supporting of our missionaries, our outreach in the community, our weekly gathering of worship, the sharing of, our, of the gospel with our friends and family and co-workers and neighbors, all of that would be useless. Useless endeavors and nothing more than the wasting of our time and the wasting of the time of others. Be wasting our time because the content of our message again would be groundless and devoid of substance. We would not have really anything good or of value to say. And again, if Christ has not been raised, we too would be liars. We too would not be telling the truth. We too would be misrepresenting God. We too would be blaspheming God because we'd be claiming that God had done something that He had not done. And in the end, we would deserve the doubt or advice, uh, the doubt our advice and our warnings and our proclamation produces. We would be deserving of the skepticism and that our benevolence sometimes uh, elicits, we would, we, we would deserve the ridicule and scorn that we receive as those who proclaim the gospel. But it gets worse. In verses 14 and 17, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain, your, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. He said, if Christ hasn't been raised, 
the faith of the Corinthians was empty, devoid of substance, but also fruitless and ineffective. In other words, it didn't result in their justification or their salvation, and they remained in their sins. If God had not been raised, or if Christ had not been raised, the gospel is no longer the power unto salvation that Paul spoke of in chapter 1. If Christ had not been raised, the, the vanity of preaching could only lead to the vanity of faith. And everything Paul had said in chapter 10 of his letter to the Romans regarding salvation, right? Salvation resulting from faith, and faith resulting from hearing the word preached, and the word being preached by those who had sent, all of that is dismantled. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, there's no, there was no receipt given by God declaring Christ's payment of the debt of sin on behalf of sinners to be satisfactory and paid in full. If Christ has not been raised, again, His declaration back in chapter 6 where He had told them, you are no longer in your sins. You are no longer the sinners you have been in the past. All of that wasn't true. And they were still in their sins as they had always been. Because the doctrine of the resurrection affects the doctrine of salvation. It, it, it affects the doctrine of atonement. It affects the doctrine of justification. It affects the doctrine of adoption. It affects the doctrine of sanctification. It, it affects the doctrine of, of glorification. And on and on and on. We pull that resurrection block and it all comes tumbling to the ground. And again, we need to make this personal because the truth is the same for us today. If, if Christ has not been raised, He is not alive and we therefore cannot be alive in Him. We remain. If Christ has not been raised, we remain dead in our trespasses and sins. If Christ has not been raised... And Paul says we were buried with Him in baptism. We, re we remain buried as He remains buried. We've not been raised to walk in newness of life. Because He Himself has not been raised. So we remain who we've always been. We remain sinners who haven't been washed, who haven't been justified and, and set apart. We remain unclean. We remain profane and separated from from Almighty God. Which is why it makes sense for Paul to say what that he said in verse 18. He said, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ has not been raised, not only is our preaching vain and our faith vain, but our hope is vain. Because we remain unclean, profane, and separated from God. And those who die are simply dead. Those who die in their sins are simply dead. That language is very important. He's not speaking of an, of an annihilation. He's not speaking of those who have died just simply ceasing to exist. The language is that those who have died in their sins are not immediately present with the Lord. Their souls remain burdened by the condemnation that remains and God's wrath remains a divine inevitability for them. 
And those of us who mourn and grieve the loss of family and friends, we mourn and grieve without hope. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, if Christ has not been raised for the dead, Christ's own words that those who believe in Him will never die, and Paul's words that to live is Christ and to die is gain, and Paul's words that if it is or that it is far better to depart and be with Christ, all of those, all of those words are false. If Christ has not been raised, we are not hopeful, but, but hopeless. We have no hope in the life to come. Our only hope is this life right now. And Paul says in verse 19 that if in Christ we have hope, only in this life, or in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Think about that. If, if Christ has not been raised, the suffering and martyrdom of the apostles has no purpose. If Christ has not been raised, Paul's beating in prison time has no purpose. The persecution and death of the reformers and of Christians around the world today, in the past and today, has no purpose. Striving to live godly has no purpose. Living morally has no purpose. Living lives in a manner worthy of our calling has no purpose. Taking up causes has no purpose because it's all about this life only. And Paul even goes on to say later in verse 32, it would be better, if Christ has not been raised, it would be better for us to just eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, it would be better to just get all we can get now and live as hedonistically as we can if Christ has not been raised. I mean, if this is... If this life is all there is, and if only judgment awaits, rather than striving to outdo one another in doing good and honoring one another, rather than spurring one another to love and good deeds, what we ought to be doing is competing with one another to see who can live faster and harder than the other. If we're, if we're going down, we ought to go down in glory. And I know you're thinking, wow, thanks for the uplifting message, Pastor. But Paul doesn't end there, so I'm not going to end there. Paul continued to write, so I'm going to continue to speak for a couple more minutes. Because the next word in verse 20, that starts verse 20, is probably one of the best, if not the best words in all of Scripture. But, if Christ has not been raised, your, your, your preaching's in vain, your faith is in vain, your hope is in vain, but, He says, Christ has been raised. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
In Peter's words, in the first sermon after Christ's resurrection and ascension, he said God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Christ has been raised. Therefore, those who have repented of their sins and are looking to Him in faith and have received the forgiveness that is offered in Him, that, that, ha, that He has secured for us, that forgiveness that we have in Him, that He has secured for us through His death and resurrection, there are three things that we need to keep in mind this morning. And the first is this, our preaching is not in vain. Because Christ has been raised. Our ministry of proclamation and our ministry of presence has great meaning and purpose. Everything that we do has meaning and purpose because the gospel remains the power unto salvation. We are not liars, we are not blasphemers. We proclaim the truth of a risen Savior and we minister in His name. Christ died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised to new life in accordance with the Scriptures. Our preaching is not in vain. Secondly, our faith is not in vain. Sin has been defeated. We have been justified. We have been sanctified. We will one day be glorified. Because our debt has in fact been paid in full. That receipt has been given. Christ was raised from the dead. God approved of His sacrifice on behalf of you and me. His wrath, the Father's wrath has been turned away from us. His favor has been restored to us. We've been reconciled to Him. We've been saved from the penalty of our sin. We've been, we are being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved from the presence of sin. Therefore, because our faith is not in vain, our hope is not in vain as well. Christ rose bodily and He was the first of many. He did in fact defeat death. Therefore, His words are true. Those who believe in Him will not die, spiritually speaking. They will live eternally with Him. Paul's words are also true. Those who are absent from the body are immediately present with the Lord. Our striving to live godly lives, our pursuit of holiness, our desire to please the Lord in all respects is not in vain. Even our persecution and suffering is not in vain. We are not the most to be pitied because our hope is sure. Our hope is fixed. And it's not only a hope for this life now, it's also for a, a hope for the life to come. And this is why we don't regulate, or not regulate, but relegate our celebration of the resurrection to once a year. We need to be, con- we, we need to be considerate of it. We need to be reminded of it. Each and every week, if not each and every day, The grave could not hold Him. We need to be reminded that He is in fact alive. And therefore we begin every week, we begin every service every week with the words, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Let's pray together.